every Northwest Coast artist, every Klinka artist will tell you we're not even close to the level that our ancestors were at with this. We're that's what we're all pushing towards. We're all pushing towards that level again. But a big part of it too is the reason why their artwork was so much better than ours is because they had this tremendous knowledge that we don't have today. This knowledge that was severed during colonization of Alaska, colonization of Northwest Coast people. Mm -hmm. And for these days, it's so much bigger as a clinket artist, as a Northwest Coast artist, so much bigger than just trying to create something that's beautiful. Like you have this responsibility on your shoulders. You're carrying along this culture, this culture that everything that could have been done was done to destroy it. And that's what we're carrying on our back when we do this art form. That was clinket artist James Johnson. Before he got to the level that he's at now, James taught himself the fundamentals of the clinket art form. He taught himself how to draw, how to carve, how to sharpen his knives. He taught himself the fundamentals of form line. His dad taught him the importance of traditional knowledge, that when you create a piece, you create it for your clan. Be it a paddle, a bowl, a bentwood box, a mask, a rattle, a totem pole. He says that in the old days, once the carvers were finished with a totem pole, once it was raised, they could no longer touch it because now it belonged to the people. James's dad told him that when he finishes a piece, to let it go. And like a balloon in the sky, that piece will go where it needs to go. The main thing is to focus on skill and that your skill is going to improve with every piece you do. Everything that he's doing right now, whether it's talking to an auditorium of 500 people or hosting a workshop for youth or working on a commission for Google, it's bigger than him. It's for his ancestors, for his culture and his traditions. It's a reminder of the destruction and human toll of colonialism. It's more than creating a beautiful piece. It's about understanding history and sharing clinket knowledge. He does it for his clan, for his family, and for his contemporaries. All of the other Northwest Coast artists striving to reach the golden age of their art form that occurred in the 1700s and early 1800s, after steel was introduced to their culture during the fur trade. So here he is, James Johnson. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum, dedicated to exploring Alaska and the Circumpolar North through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, present, and, and future. future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. My brother Jake told me that about 25 years ago, you were a personal trainer and he worked with you to get in shape and it was the best shape that he's ever been in his entire life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shoot, man. That's like, feels like a lifetime ago. But yeah, that was long, born and raised in Juneau, um, worked with Jake. Um, it was cool, like working with him. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and um, being like a trainer like helping him. I helped him. I helped Chad Bentz. He's like went on to play baseball in the major leagues, but just a friend. But Jake was trying to push it with snowboarding. I remember he said like he had some things working with Red Bull and like 
wanted to have a really good season. So like, yeah, we worked out together and like, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, Jake's a great person. You said that you were trying to figure out like a career, you know, what else did you do? Yeah, I mean, at the time, like 20 years old, um, out of high school and trying to figure out which direction you want to go in. I worked in the seafood industry for a long time, unloading crab boats with my buddy. Um, yeah, doing that, like, made me realize, like, you know, um, you have to pursue something that you really want to do with your life and not, um, it'd be really easy to fall into a rut and um, get into the cycle. But, you know, like moving out of Alaska um, helped, you know, broaden my perspective on things. And I knew like there was a, a bigger world out there mm-hmm. that I wanted to, to see and, and be a part of. So our mutual friend, Mark Landvik, said that you're an incredible athlete and that back in the day, you two played football together and you would run through the entire defense, come out on the other side and run it in for a touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. No, like I've known Lando since we were like grade school, like young kids and um, yeah. And Juno is a small town. Like you have 30,000 people there. And so like you grow up and you play every sport imaginable. Like you, you played football, played baseball, soccer and everything. And, um, Mark was always right there. Like we played on the same teams, like growing up as kids, like we'd play football together then play baseball together in the summer. Um, yeah, it's funny. Like looking back at old pictures of Mark and I, like old, you know, football photos or something like, yeah, it's, you know, just little kids. When you look back on, you know, those two kids in those pictures, does it ever kind of, I don't know, surprise you? that you two are where you are now? Um, you know, it, it, it does, but then it doesn't, you know, like you, you meet people that have this certain drive to them mm-hmm. that want that see, like they, they really go after their passion with what they want to do with their life and take that step. And it's a, it's a step of like, of like courage, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And stepping into something that's unknown, but it's, it's what's, eating at you every day. You have to, to make that move. And it's scary for a lot of people to do that. And, um, you know, seeing Mark, like his career was snowboarding, like he did that move, you know, he made that sacrifice. Like I always, I talk to a lot of native youth kids now at different schools and events. And like, I tell them, you know, if you really want something, you're going to have to sacrifice something to get that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time that sacrifice is scary it's breaking out of your comfort zone, but it's essential to go after a career or go after your passion, you know? So like Mark, you know, you know, he's told me that story a lot where, you know, leaving Juno and like riding the bus, you know, to go film a standard and like, you know, just showing up and like, you, you have to be on point too to like perform, you know, at this high level. It's really inspiring to hear him talk about that and like watch mm-hmm. his career like it like took off, you know, and I always followed it too. No matter where I was, I'd always like, you know, make a point if I was in, you know, grocery store or Barnes and Noble or something, I'd check the latest issue like Transworld or something, snowboarding and like 
always see his ads or interview or something like that. And you always felt like really proud of him when you saw it. That's awesome to have that reaction, you know, for a friend, because there are a lot of people that would maybe see something like that, be jealous. Yeah. I mean, shoot. I mean, that's like people's human nature. It's like, thinking like, oh, I wish I would have done that or I wish I would have done this. And like, man, I made a point of that like long time ago. I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to live my life that way. You know, you see other successful people and you're like, you know, you got your own life you got to go after. So like, why sit there and like be jealous of somebody that's doing something really amazing, incredible, you know, mm-hmm. like end of the day, like we're all human. We're all the same, same, you know, essentially the same person, but like, man, your mental, like your mental attitude and your like drive is what could take you to that next step, you know? And like, yeah, yeah. Never feeling like jealous. You could say just like proud, proud of them, you know? And like, you know, I'm proud to have Mark be one of my, you know, my good friends, you know, and have this connection since we're kids. When you talk to youth about making a sacrifice to achieve what, you know, they want their dream, their passion. What kind of responses do you get from them? Yeah. I mean, um, shoot. I mean, with, with what I do, like I was just example, like I was Fort Lewis college in Durango had me out there to do two days of carving demonstrations and, and speak to, um, the student, the student base there. They have a real heavy population of Alaska native kids that go to Fort Lewis in Colorado. Um, they get benefits of like in-state tuition, but they're out of state. And um, yeah, it turned into like, it's pr- really evident that after the first day of talking, even the first like class talking, um, everyone, all the kids I talked to, like they're, it was really hard for them to be there. Like it was, it was hard for them to be out of their, out of their comfort zone, out of their village, away from their family, away from Alaska, you know, and like, they could not wait to get back home, which I said, you know, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, Alaska's home. You know, you have that, you always carry that with you in your heart, you know, like Alaska's home. But like, it's, uh, it turned into me just talking to them, like how important it is to, to, to be uncomfortable and to follow like this dream of what you want to become and, and focus on that. You know, it's no matter how hard it's going to get, it's going to get, it's not easy to do that. And like the rewards aren't, immediate, you know, but Mm -hmm. it's essential that they're there doing it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult, especially you want to talk about native youth, you know, like it's, they need all the encouragement and support that they could get right now. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's really sad. I mean, if you go, like I live here in Arizona and like Northern Arizona, you get up on the Navajo nation and go through the reservation. That is is the poorest place you've ever seen in your life driving through there. Right. There's, there's no hope for these kids, you know, and I've been a, a, a youth speaker at um, a number of different um, events all across the United States where I was speaking to native youth leaders from across the country and they're in the same boat. They're trying to figure out what can we do to inspire the youth because they feel like, what's the point? What's the point of that? I'm never going to amount to this. I can never do this. And the, the encouragement's not there from their family and their support system. And um, you know what, like for me, like I I love showing them like, look, this is possible. Mm -hmm. It's possible to be 
indigenous to be Alaska native and like you can make it, you know, and mm -hmm. like it's you are a minority in a lot of the sense wherever you go, you know, like for me, like you know, I wear my hair long and like I go places. I'm the only Indian in the whole place, you know, but I like that. I like walking into those situations where people are looking at you going, what the hell is this guy doing here? Or like, you know, look at this guy, you know, but I've grown to, to enjoy that. I like, I, I, I like being proud of who I am. I'm proud of like where I came from. I'm proud of my ancestors and what they did. And, um, you know, I want to pass that on to these the native youth and say, it's okay. It's okay that you're different. It's okay that you are who you are. And, you know, it's uh, vital. Mm -hmm. Have you always enjoyed being the only native in certain situations? I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, growing up in Juneau, like, you have like an awareness and that wasn't until later in my life. You have an awareness of your roots of being Clinket, you know, awareness of my family lineage and where they came from. Um, and that was just kind of more or less my upbringing. Like my, my dad grew up in the residential school system where this culture was stripped from him, you know, and like my, my grandfathers too, like they were all Dakla, I'm Dakla Wadi, which is Kilowell clan. They're all Dakla Wadi chiefs in Hootsamu and Angoon and like big guys culture, like they grew up, they lived our traditional culture. Mm -hmm. And then for my dad, like he wasn't able to, you know, that you come from a time frame where, you know, that culture was stripped from you and you couldn't speak your language. You couldn't, you couldn't live the culture. And so like, um, for me, you become aware of these things as you get older and you, you're proud of it and you learn about it. And like, um, I, I'm passing that on to my son now at a really early age, you know, my son, Elias, you know, he's 10 years old, but you know, he speaks Clinket. Like he's, you know, aware of who he is, you know, he has a Clinket name, you know? So it's like your identity is important. Yeah. Do you know if it was tough for your dad to not grow up with his culture? Yeah. I mean, the second I said I want to become a carver, he was completely in support of it, 100%. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he sent me, you know, big Alaskan yellow cedar logs freight from Alaska to here in Arizona for me to carve, you know, and, um, he's really excited, you know, because like I'm the first in my family lineage that's a carver, you know, and, and pursued that. And, um, yeah, it, it was just a really proud, you know, and, and I took care of, I took care of both of my parents before they passed, you know, my, my parent, I, when I moved to Arizona, you know, my parents were in Alaska and they got to a point where they asked for help. And I said, yes, of course, you know, so I moved them down to my home in Arizona and my wife and I took care of both of them before they passed away, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that is something that I, um, really happy I did. It was hard, you know, hard, hard on a marriage, hard in a living situation, but like, you don't say no to your parents, you know, when your mom asks for help, you say yes, no matter what, what it takes, you know, and, um, mm -hmm. having them, you know, have a relationship with my son, you know, at an early age too, that, that is something I'll cherish forever, you know, but, um, it also teaches you adversity, you know, like, like, man, we, I've, 
I've dealt with real problems, you know, real problems. And like, they see stuff that bothers most people. And it's like, it doesn't even shake the, the boat for my wife and I. You're like, really? Like, that's what's affecting you. But um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, no, I'm thankful, thankful for, for the time I had with them. You know, I heard that your relationship with your dad was instrumental for you. And, you know, earlier you said that he would he would send you stuff to help out with your art. You know, in what ways do you think that he was instrumental? Yeah, just supportive, you know, and like he told me too, like, um, I mean, I taught myself the fundamentals of the clinket art form, which is you, you tell that to any clinket artist and they can't believe it, you know. There's so many rules and guidelines that go with learning the art form. And I taught myself all of them. Taught myself the fundamentals of form line. Taught myself how to draw. Taught myself how to carve. How to sharpen my knives. Um, you know, so much goes into it. But with him, um, he taught me the traditional clinket knowledge. You know, the carvers, when you create these pieces, you create it for your clan. Mm-hmm whether it be a paddle, a kutia, totem pole, clan house. And this, like, for example, in the old days, like the second the carvers finished a totem pole, they could not touch it anymore when they raised it. It didn't belong to the carvers anymore. It belonged to the people. And so, like, my dad instilled that that knowledge within me when I was first learning to carve because he was seeing how how much effort goes into it. You put everything you have into carving like a mask and these pieces you're sculpting out of a block of wood, mm-hmm. you know, blood, sweat and tears go into this thing. It takes a long time and it's difficult. It's hard. It's supposed to be hard. But my dad said, don't get attached to your work. Don't focus on the final outcome of it. He said, when you finish a piece, he said, let it, let it go. Like you let go of a balloon in the sky. Like that piece will go where it needs to go, whether it's a museum, a collector, or I give stuff to my son too. But he said, that's the main thing is focusing on your skill. So your skill is going to get imp- improve with every piece you do. Mm-hmm. Your skill is always going to increase. So that's the main thing. Be able to pick up any piece of wood and create something out of it. But don't focus on the final outcome. And so like, you know, that's kind of the application I do, like I'll finish something and everyone's like, oh my God, it's so amazing. You spent, you know, six months carving that and you're just going to let it go. And like, yeah, you know, that's like, that's part of it. It's not having that attachment. But I know like, you know, your skill is always going to improve. Mm-hmm. That's such a great way to look at art because there are so many artists out there that look back on their previous work and, you know, they think, oh, I could have done this or this is how it could have been improved. But, you know, you're making it and it's part of the world now. Yeah, no, it's um, you're never content with what you're creating either. Like that's you're never completely happy. And it's always you're always pushing it. That's part of it. You're always pushing to improve. You're always pushing, pushing the bar. And this standard that we have these days is was set really high by the work of our ancestors with, with what they created. Um, they say that the peak golden age of, of Northwest Coast art, Clinket art, was um, after contact or people traded for steel during the fur trade in the late 1700s, early 1800s. 
And during that fur trade, we got steel. And the second we got steel, the art form really took off at this really incredible rate. The skill and level of the art form increased rapidly. And um, that set a really high standard for what we're doing today. And like every Northwest Coast artist, every Klink artist will tell you, we're not even close to the level that our ancestors were at with this. We're tr that's what we're all pushing towards. We're all pushing towards that level again. But a big part of it too is the reason why their artwork was so much better than ours is because they had this tremendous knowledge that we don't have today. This knowledge that was severed during colonization of Alaska, colonization of Northwest Coast people. Mm -hmm. And for these days, it's so much bigger as a clinked artist, as a Northwest Coast artist, so much bigger than just trying to create something that's beautiful. That you have this responsibility on your shoulders, you're carrying along this culture, this culture that everything that could have been done was done to destroy it. And that's what we're carrying on our back when we do this art form. You know, we're not sitting here painting, you know, rainbows in the sky for no reason. These, this is an art form that we're doing. Mm -hmm. These lines need to be spaced exactly a certain amount. You know, I owe it, one of my mentors was Nathan Jackson. Um, his clinical name is Raven Child. He um, critiqued my work early on in like 2012. Um, he critiqued my work and he basically said, look, like you're good. And, um, you know, he had selected my work for a celebration art show in Juneau, which was like a tremendous honor. It, it, celebration shows like happens. A, it's a biannual event happens every two years. Gathering of Clinket Haida Shimshian people for like four days of celebration of our culture and heritage. But there's a big juried art show that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. And um, Nathan was the head juror and he selected one of my pieces to be featured, which was like a tremendous honor. They said, look, you're good. That's why I ch chose your work. But the work you're doing right now, the level you're at is garbage. And he said, this is what you need to focus on. And I took that to heart. You know, he said, focus on your form line, focus on drawing. Because the better you are at drawing form line, the better carver you're going to be because you're going to start seeing the composition better. And, you know, and that was, shoot, that was like 10 years ago. You know what I mean? And like, I'm still learning and it's never ending. It's never ending reach that we're all striving towards. And we're all going to die too with unfinished pieces sitting right there on our, our workbench. Mm -hmm. You know, all the artists I look up to have pushed it so long. They're all in their seventies, you know, and like, you know, they take it right up until the end, you know, and the same thing with me, like I'm going to push it until my, my hands don't work anymore. So what was your next move? when you were told to focus on form line drawing drawing and drawing like your life depended on it draw draw the images and balance and you know and you start developing there's a lot of rules and guidelines that go with form line in the art form a lot that most people don't understand you know you see a lot of stuff and it's it's complete junk you know, a lot of stuff that's mass produced. And that's a whole nother thing to talk about, like the cultural appropriation that occurs with for Northwest Coast, mm -hmm. you know, stuff's made in China and sold in gift shops, you know, completely ripping off our culture. But learning the proper form line and learning the fundamentals of the art form just takes time. You know, artists hit me up and ask me like, 
you know, how do I do this? I'm like, start drawing and, and practice form line. And the better you are at that, the better carver you're going to be, you know, because you need to start seeing the balance. You start seeing the composition. But it's, um, it's never ending with what you create. You're always pushing it. You know, you want to be challenged with every piece that you do, you know, and I like, you know, high consequence, you know, pieces. You carve in a bentwood box and like there's zero room for mistakes. You know, you're, you're carving right up along the painted line and, and recessing the wood. And there's, there's no like whoops or mm -hmm. they're going against the grain and it splinters. Like you have to be real precise, but you know, like you said earlier, talking about like, you know, trusting your ability, you know, like you trust what you can do and what you're capable of doing. And, um, that's where things really start getting kind of like, like magical almost with, with your skill. Mm -hmm. You know, I wonder if, if there have been any moments where, you know, you're trusting your ability, you're like, I can do this. And then, you know, maybe you reach like a brand new challenge and, you know, what's that moment like? Well, I mean, it's more or less like, like for me, like I work with a lot of companies too. And like, I think you, you focus on your skill and focus on doing good work. And then you, you have a positive outlook, positive attitude, and you start attracting things to you. You start attracting these opportunities. And then when those opportunities present themselves, you have to have the courage to say, yes, I could do that. Mm -hmm. Yes, I could cr create this in this amount of time and meet deadlines and, and be professional. You know, I just did a big commission with Google where they, you know, I get these emails. It's almost, I think it's like spam. Yeah. Yeah. I get an email from Google and they're like, Hey, we want to hire you to do design work. That's going to go on our homepage. You know, it was a big commission. You know, the lady hired me from, she was in the UK, you know, and like a zoom meeting with people and the design firm was in New York and they say, Hey, we love what you do and you need this. And you say, yes, no problem. There's no like, fumbling around and, and questioning you just say yes i'll do that you know mm -hmm. same thing with like working like you know travis i work with travis rice i was an artist for a symbol and jackson um you know and uh, travis has this really incredible ability to like push people outside their comfort zone and show them what they're capable of doing you know but you know last january travis hit me up and was like hey i'd like to have you um be a guest speaker at Natural Selection on Yeti Night in Jackson. You know, it's a 500 person auditorium. Mm -hmm. And like, basically, you know, Lando, as cool as Lando was there too, but like, you know, you show up. The other guest speaker was Pete McBride. He was like a Nat Geo photographer for like 30 years. Amazing photographer. Yeah. And um, they wired me up and like, you're going to go first. And I said, hey, like, we're doing a sound check. It's like, hey, I'm just going to do my speech right now and get it out of the way and like get one out and pete was like you're gonna just talk for 30 minutes with no prompter <laughs> or, yeah and he is tripping and but like you know like stuff like that like you have to be able to trust your ability and trust your knowledge and articulate it and and pass it on to other people but from doing that you know like now i'm working with teton gravity research in portugal man like you know i met the guys from teton from that event you know i just signed with yeti like did design work for them 
you know, so like these things happen, but it's not by accident, you know, it's not mm -hmm. like it's, it, it happened, it happens how it should be, you know. When do you think was the last time you pushed that bar for yourself? I mean, every day I, I carve and paint every day, like no days off. I'm thinking about it, thinking about pieces, thinking about form line designs. Um, that's what it takes. You know, you want to be really good at what you're doing. Like it takes that sacrifice and that dedication to do it. You know, like it takes that courage, you know, I'm painting, I'm doing design work for Clinton, Haida and Juno. They asked me to do their, their brand new logo for the whole company. You know, mm -hmm. like they've had the same logo since I was a kid in Juno and they want me to do the new one, which is a trip, you know? Yeah. But like, yeah, you say, yes, like I'll do that. No problem. And even, yeah, the Zoom, I've had multiple Zoom meetings with them going over like ideas and stuff. And, you know, even the, one of the directors is like, aren't you nervous to do this? I'm like, this is what I do. You know, like mm -hmm. I do, I draw a form line and carve it. You know, that's what I do. That's what I dedicated my life to doing. But like, yeah, it's not much of a nervous thing. It's like you, you see these pieces and you want to create these my 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 favorite thing is doing traditional pieces traditional work that can exist within our culture a thousand years ago seamlessly whether it be a bowl a bent with box a mask uh, a rattle a paddle all these incredible works that could fit exactly within our culture mm -hmm. in the old days you know i received a compliment from this year's celebration um at a bentwood box i had a few pieces in the show but um a Bentwood box I carved, um, kind of like four, all four sides were carved seamlessly. The, the design like flowed around all four sides. And like um, the head juror, Mick Beasley said, hey, like this work, I love it. He goes, it looks old. <laughs> I was like, that's such a good compliment. Like that was my favorite thing someone's ever said in a while, you know? Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, you're always, always pushing it, you know? Um, it's, uh, it's never ending, never ending, but it takes the courage to do it too. You know, sculpting a bowl, a three-dimensional bowl, you know, it's hard. It's hard to do. You're making a cut where you can't mess up, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like your art is combating cultural appropriation? Yeah. You, that's always something like I want to acknowledge and like people that I work with, you know, fortunate you know work with vans um i have a collection that just was released um with vans it's been like two years in the making you know and um they you know wanted to present it right present the clinket art form correctly mm -hmm. and like um you know the design process was incredible where i had free reign for the whole thing of design you know if i wanted to put the design here you know, and whatever I want to do, I worked with the lead shoe designer at Vans and he was incredible. But um, a step further, like on the snowboard boot, um, they go, let's tell the story of the, of these designs. And so I wrote out the, like a brief story and um, the lead designer was like, Hey, can you hand handwrite this? Mm -hmm. And we're going to print it on the inside tongue of the snowboard boot in your handwriting. 
I said, God, how cool is that? You know, like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so amazing. Where like people might like the design, but then they'll read the story and go, wow, you know, and it spreads our culture mm -hmm. on this platform. And that's a big like thing. Like I'm really happy to work with, you know, work with Vans and LibTech and SmartWool, Volcom, like all these people. Like it puts Clinket Art out there on this incredible platform that it showcases it, you know, worldwide. You know, it shines light on like the incredible work of all these artists, you know, mm -hmm. that are that are, are pushing it and making it. And um, yeah, I'm really proud of that. Proud. I didn't, I didn't set out for it to be that way. It just happened that way, you know. Mm -hmm. You talk about the importance of sacrifice and dedication. And I wonder where you feel like you got that from. <sighs> yeah, that's I mean, shoot. They have this drive in you to, to, you know, like to push it and, and to like, you know, to be honest, like when I was about 20, 20 years old, like I started having these thoughts that would wake me up in the middle of the night. These thoughts of your life, like ending, mm -hmm. you know, and like after that, that's it. And like, those thoughts would wake me up and I'd think like, God, like I have to go, I have to do exactly what I want to do. And it cured like any kind of like laziness or any kind of like doubt or any, any of these things. Like that was like motivation to, to pursue it, you know, then like, like having my son Elias too, like, like he was born, um, he's 10 years old. When he was born, he was born with cystic fibrosis, which is a life-threatening genetic disorder that affects his lungs and digestive system. Mm -hmm. And when he was born, you know, the doctor told me, like, there's a good chance that he might not live past 39. And that, like, that really changed me again. Like, you know, like, everything I do is for him. Like, he's my main inspiration, my main motivation. But it doesn't matter, like, every, it doesn't matter for me, like, no matter how tired I am or how, like, mentally tired I am, like, I keep going. I keep, I push it past it, you know, because mm -hmm. I want to give him the best life he can, especially if it's going to be on this, you know, if it's, if it's going to be cut short in any way, you know. And so, like, yeah, there's no excuses left you know when you have that 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 mindset you know mm -hmm. it's a deep hunger you know and like you know it's whatever people's beliefs are you know like you have right now you have this present moment that you're in right now and like you have every day to improve yourself no matter what what you're doing with your life but the people I look up to are the ones that do take that, that risk and they take that s step and like go after their, pursue their dream that they, they, that they only see themselves, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, you know, unfortunately, like a lot of these, like the native youth, you know, like they're, they don't have that support system saying like, you could do it. They're sitting there going, God, I wish I could do that. And like, but they don't have this like confidence to go after it you know, and it fell short. And that's why you have these high rates of suicide among these kids.
because they don't feel like they can do it, you know. So like, I love trying to be like this role model or like icon showing them like, look, you could do this, you know, it's possible. You know, I was just like you, you know. Mm -hmm. When did you start working with youth? And I wonder, was there a reason? Uh, it's more or less like um, I was asked in 20, like 2016, um, I was asked to be a guest speaker um, at a big Native youth gathering um, in San Diego. It was like a, a tribal gathering. All the tribal leaders were there. And then it's a week-long event, and they, have, they bring out Native youth leaders. And it was organized in Washington, D.C. They hit me up because I saw the work I was doing um, with the art and said, hey, would you like to come out and talk? And I said, absolutely. You know, I went out and, and um, just basically like, you know, like, like it's in our, I guess, in our character. Like we're pretty, pretty reserved and quiet by nature, like Native people. And so, like, half the time, like, these kids just want to feel involved, you know? They just want to feel like they're a part of something. And so you sit there and you just, you just you want to just listen and let them get out their story mm -hmm. and, and let them talk, you know what I mean? And um, being there and, like, sharing what I do, and, like, you saw, like, you could have an impact on somebody, mm -hmm. you know? And, like, these days... You know, I get messages all the time online of like, you know, people that that are they, I've never even met them before. And they're like, oh, we're so proud to see what you're doing, you know, and that's like the best, the best like compliment ever, you know. Yeah. Like, and you realize like, like the effects that you have by your actions, you know, and like the ripple effect of that, you know, who knows how far it reaches. But um, I always want to keep it positive and like in encouraging, you know, for people mm -hmm. and like, you know, give them hope. What kind of stories do you hear from Native youth? I mean, a lot, like I said before, a lot of them, man, they, they just don't even, they feel like, they feel like, like there's no hope, you know, like they feel like they, they're not worthy of being successful. You know, it's heartbreaking to hear that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's not their fault. It's not, you know, the way the way the system's set up, it's set up for them to fail, you know? And, like, it takes a lot of effort to break that situation, to break that mold and, like, pursue these things. And, um, man, yeah, it's hard to hear. You know, it's hard to hear their stuff but like i've done workshops too with art where we, we get kids together and just have them paint you know mm -hmm. and like by nature they're all quiet and maybe no one's talking but like they're just happy to be there and be a part of it you know mm -hmm. and that's the biggest thing and just show them encouragement you know but um yeah i always Anytime I hit up to do a workshop or speak, I always say, absolutely. You know, I wonder how do you feel after a workshop, you know, working with youth that are, you know, really going through these struggles, but you know, you recognize that the workshop went really well, 
and they had a great time and maybe they were able to work through some trauma, but then the workshop's over and they're back to their life. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the big thing is like, um, you want to, you want to inspire them. And so that we usually like the painting workshops we've done, like we give them a, like a kit to take with them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like keep painting, you know, keep doing these things when you get back home and give them paints and brushes and all that stuff. And like encourage them to keep going, but it's, yeah, it's hard, you know, like, like I'm working with Seal Alaska right now. We're like vans from my collection. Like they donated a big chunk from my collection to see Alaska to help fund native youth programs. And like one of the programs that we're creating is a snow, a snow sports program mm -hmm. where we're going to get kids up on the hill at Eagle Crest snowboarding, skiing, um, through this program. And there's a lot of really incredible people involved that have stepped up to be a part of it. Um, but we want them to experience that feeling of being up on the hill snowboarding, you know, riding the chairlift for the first time. And, and like, the big thing is like, we want it to continue past that one day, you know, mm -hmm. but it's, it's such a hard thing because like all the gear is so expensive for a lot of these kids, you know? Yeah. So like we're, um, we're going to smart well too and lib tech and like, a bunch of people where we're going to try to kick these people out, you know, and like get them up there, you know, and like vans like donated enough money where this is it could go on for some years here, but um, yeah, just to get them lift tickets and get them transportation just up to the hill, you know, mm -hmm. and like get them, get them on the bunny home and get them just sliding down that thing, you know, and like that could spark, you know, who knows like how that could affect them down the road, you know, like thinking, giving them hope, giving them confidence, you know, that's important. remember your first time up on the mountain oh yeah it was awesome magical you know what i mean like it's sucks <laughs> like you can't <laughs> figure out how to turn and you're just standing up and falling all day but you might get like a few seconds of standing up you know and then you like when you catch like a heel edge or something and you're like wow that's how you do it but um yeah. it's important to like give those kids those opportunities you know mm -hmm. that they couldn't have it otherwise you know like they wouldn't be able to make it up there on their own you know i was i was looking through this one part of your website that gave the titles 
locations and years of your exhibitions. And it seems like things really started to pick up around 2017. Does that sound right? Yeah. Why 2017? What was going on that year? Um, yeah, that was, let's see, like, man, Mark, like Lando hit me up in 2015 as like just after my dad died. Um, he hit me up and was like, Hey, I want to fly you up to Bellingham for the weekend, do some art. And he and I kept in contact throughout the years. Like I, we traded masks, like he'd get a mask for me and he'd send me snowboard gear, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, he, he called me out of the blue and said, Hey, like, you know, I want you to come up. And I said, yeah, of course. And um, yeah, I flew up there and it was a trip. Cause you know, Jamie Lynn picked me up from the airport, you know, yeah, and, like talking to Jamie, like, um, like he was so into clinket art and Northwest coast art. Like we hit it off and like, you know, I spent a weekend up there just painting and, and hanging out and watching mm-hmm. Jamie do his thing. And Mark had like some brain farm filmers there and we filmed a piece and, um, that kind of like what really sparked things for me, you could say. And I'm forever indebted to Mark for, for that. Like he was the first person to really believe in my art and, um, and um, support me. And he opened a lot of doors for me with companies that I work with now, like introducing me to people. And, um, you know, one of it too is Travis, like Mark was filming with Travis for the fourth phase in like 2016 around then. And he'd show Travis my work and Travis liked it. And he said, hey, I wanna put James on an A symbol and he reached out and said, you know, do you want to be an artist for Ace Symbol too? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And 2017, I had a show in Jackson with Travis at Ace Symbol Gallery. And um, that was the first time my work was like featured, like in a full gallery setup, you know, like 20 something pieces on the wall, you know, and that was so cool. And like, I'm f- like forever, like remember that, you know, really special moment. But, um, yeah, from there, like just started working and it actually wasn't really until 2019 where things kind of started taking off, like more serious. Um, I got asked by, um, Holland America cruise lines. They had followed my work, what I was doing online mm-hmm. and said, Hey, we want to have you carve on the Alaska cruises this summer. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, and, um, it was such a cool gig because like I got to go carve every day, but then I'd also go see we could go to go to Haynes and like I'd beeline it for Cluck One and like go to the whale house in Cluck One mm-hmm. and like go see monumental artwork in all these places. And um you know, and that also taught me like how to be a public speaker, you know. I was kinda like thrown into the fire on the ship. Like they'd hand me a microphone and be like you know, you have 30 minutes to talk <laughs> in front of all these people, you yeah. know? And I was like, okay. And it, it worked out though. Like it was such a great experience. And then, um, I, the pieces I carved, um, that year were getting pretty, it was kind of a shift where like the pieces were getting really a lot better. Um, and I always had this dream of entering, and uh, there's a big part of the biggest like native art show in the world is in Santa Fe and um, big art market and big jury show where it's like you have a thousand 
you know, artist booths up for a weekend and the jury show is like 3000 pieces, like pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. And, um, I entered two of my pieces into the show and, um, I took first and second place for wood sculpture, which was crazy. Oh, that's awesome. And, um, um, I remember going to pick up, I had to pick up my work Friday night from the jury show cause the market was starting Saturday and Sunday. And I went to the, everything was on display for the public to look at. And I went there just to get it. I didn't even know I won anything. And I walked up and saw the ribbons and the curator for the Art Institute, Art Institute of Chicago was standing there, Andrew Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's like, I love your work. It's like, I want to, I want to buy that piece. We want to put it on display, it, you know, in the museum. And that was the first time, like someone had acquired, you know, one of my pieces for a museum collection mm -hmm. and from then on it kind of just started like this like crazy like ripple effect started happening where i started working with more museums um more collectors and started working with more companies as well 2019 too is when i signed with libtech um did my first graphic for pete and libtech and that was really incredible um mm -hmm. But yeah, that kind of like from then on, like the trajectory has just been kind of going up from there. Can you tell me about the art that you're doing for companies like LibTech? Yeah, um, like Pete, I met Pete, like these things too, like don't happen by accident, you know, like um, 2016, um, the SIA trade show in Denver reached out to Mark and I and they said, Hey, like, we'd like to have you guys come out and have James carve live in front of all these people. Mm -hmm. And they had like 20,000 people a day coming through the door, you know, but I drove out there, you know, I drove like 30 hours through a snowstorm to get there and like get set up and like, you have to do it. You know, like those opportunities that present themselves, you have to say yes to it and, take it you know mm -hmm. and I took it and um got there and like you know it's crazy like you know LibTech has a booth Volcom has a booth Vans but like you know I met Matt Patty at Vans during that that time frame and talking to him he had already seen my work and he was like hey like I love your work I want you know I'm gonna support you and like I want to do a collection with Vans with you he's like just be patient because you know it's like the list for artists to do collections of vans is huge, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so met him there and met Pete there and, um, they saw my work and, um, yeah, uh, Pete, like really incredible. He's so passionate about Northwest coast art. Um, yeah, we actually did a binding, um, before I did a board in 2018. Um, we did a bent metal binding mm -hmm. and like Pete, it's like really organic with Pete. Like he, he literally took an image off my Instagram and gave it to the art department and had to mock it up. Then emailed me and was like, Hey, we mocked this up. What do you think? And I was like, that looks amazing. You know? Yeah. It's like, okay, let's sign a contract and do it. And yeah, that, that, that occurred. Then I did a painting of the salmon stream that and went up online. He sent me a message was like, Hey, I love that painting. I want to buy the original. And I want to like license it and put it on a LibTech board. And like, what do you think? I was like, yeah, like, 
like dream come true, you know, like to do something like that. And so um, did that first graphic and then like, you know, went really well. That's actually the, I have that board on my wall here in my home just as like a memorabilia, you know, like the first graphic I did with LibTech. Mm -hmm. Like I just finished my fifth graphic with them, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, it's just like a dream come true working with Pete and LibTech and everyone there is so like, so easygoing, you know, and really cool. Like, you know, like Jesse Bertner, like he had a, mm -hmm. we did this big dinner. Um, I was there with Travis at Mervyn. We did this big dinner after we did this whale watch tour. And like Jesse was like, like yeah like the you know Mervin family it's like we're really tight but like we keep it really loose too <laughs> but like that's so true you know like everyone's like a like peak of what they're capable of doing and like professional of what they do you know but mm -hmm. it's like um this more family feel to it is that how it usually goes libtech picks one of your graphics that's already done or do you create something new and specific for them yeah yeah no the first two graphics we did was more just off of paintings that i've done mm -hmm. and then um let's see the the graphic that's we're always a year ahead of time with graphics mm -hmm. so like the graphic that's out now i did a year ago and that was more specific where talking with pete um, we want to use a carving for the board graphic and have it give it this three-dimensional feel. And um, yeah, I, I did a panel carving and it was linear, so it fit a board really well. And um, mm -hmm. I had a vision for it and it matched what Pete was looking for, but it turned out really awesome. And that board's like out now in shops. But then like, we really like that three-dimensional feel to it. And um, yeah, I, I teach carving up at Port Townsend, the, the Port Townsend School of Woodworking um, the last two years. They, they reached out to me. I, it's funny, I hit them up. I was going to Mervyn to see Travis and everybody. And like, I was a fan of the school and I hit them up to see if they had some cedar stock. And just hitting them up, they said, hey, like, we actually love your work. Would you want to teach here? <laughs> I was like, sure. But um, I just taught a panel carving class and a paddle class last month. Um, Port Townsend is like, like 25, 30 minutes from Urban. And so it's right there. And um, Pete, he came and saw me um, the last day of my panel class. And um, the panel I carved it was a big like three foot by like 15, 16 inches, like rectangular panel. Mm -hmm. And like um, I drew it out and I was teaching a class and we all, everyone's carving it. And um, I was kind of cooking along carving cause I could sit there and carve for eight, nine hours a day. Mm -hmm. And um, by like Wednesday, I sent Pete a text. I was like, this thing is looking really good. I think it could be a graphic. And he's like, yeah, we'll come check it out on Friday and um, yeah, I finished it on Friday and um, looks awesome. And like, yeah, I gave it to Pete and um, they mocked it up and that's gonna be the graphic for next year. So just more, it's really organic, you know, working with yeah. them. It's not like stressful at all. It's more like, it's really, I don't know. It's really 
just happens naturally. And um, it's cool that they're so into it. And, you know, Pete too, like donated a portion of the board sales this year back to my tribe in Alaska, back to see Alaska to help um, build a, an, a new arts campus that they just opened. But yeah, Pete Libtech is one of the main donors for it, which mm -hmm. is awesome. I wonder what some of the conversations with these companies have been like with you about Alaska native art representation and, you know, maybe why it took off, you know, coming from Alaska, you know, you and I are like, yeah, this stuff is amazing. But to see it on such a grand scale, like it is right now is, is so amazing to me. And I'm just curious about what kind of conversations are happening kind of behind the scenes? It's, it's, I'm, I'm happy, anytime I'm, I'm happy to bring that art form to light, like any way I can. Um, and it's such a good platform because it brings like collectively, like brings all of us up, mm -hmm. all these artists that are working and creating these incredible pieces and carrying forward the culture. Like it brings everybody up you know and so like yeah it's again it goes back to having this like positive put out this positive energy but then also like just be really freaking good at what you're doing like mm -hmm. be the best you could be at it you know and you attract these opportunities you know like smartwell i just signed with them um just a straight endorsement contract with them and they're such a generous company you know where they they've given funds to see alaska as well for to help fund programs and like mm -hmm. um, donated socks and, and everything to events that i'm at you know when i went to fort lewis they sent a whole box of socks out to hand out to the kids and like just really generous but like those companies um i think acknowledging in, indigenous people acknowledging our history acknowledging the art form and our culture mm -hmm. especially the way with with how things are going these days, how like out of balance we are, out of balance with the environment, out of balance with the earth, out of balance with each other. Like indigenous ways, looking back is the way forward. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm working with Teton Gravity and, and Portugal Man. Um, they're doing a collection and like, I've known John for a couple of years now from Portugal and like, mm -hmm. John asked me to do the artwork for their collection. And um, I'm actually, next weekend, I'm heading to the Burke Museum in Seattle. I have a research grant to study their collection. And um, John is coming up from Portland and the Teton guys are flying in from Jackson and we're gonna film like a promo piece. But like, um, that stuff is so great because it puts this like, um, spotlight on the art form mm -hmm. and on our, on our people and like john like i don't want to give away the theme of the collection but like one of john's quotes for it that ties we kind of collabed on the art on the, on the art for the collection that one of his quotes is indigenous knowledge is the way forward mm -hmm. and it's so beautiful and powerful you know mm -hmm. but i think a lot of people are seeing it that way these days you know like acknowledging our people, you know, and, and what we can offer for bringing balance back into 
the world back into our lives. Do you think your art has helped you explore more of Alaska? I mean, working with Holland was incredible because like we'd go to all these smaller places and I'd beeline it for the carving sheds, like at all those places and go sit with the carvers Mm -hmm. and, and like got to see like all these small museums too. Um, like the, the Sheldon museum in Haynes, they opened up their collection. Like the second you kind of get to become like a well-known Clinkett carver, you're able to go in to the collections and study pieces directly mm-hmm. get to put gloves on go in the back in the basement wherever the pieces are and hold them and look at them and that's really helped me improve my skill like looking back at the old works and like you can learn so much from an old piece and um that's exactly what i'm going to the burke i've been in their collection like three four times already Mm-hmm. But I, the research grant I have is just dedicated directly to studying the collections. But, you know, being on, on the cruise ships, like going around through Southeast, you know, and seeing all these incredible pieces. And like, you know, the, the big point was when I got to go to Kluckwan and see like my all time favorite artist um, was a carver in the mid 1700s. His name is Kajistuak. He carved uh, the Stikine. He was a carver um, with Chief Shakes and Wrangell. And he was commissioned to carve these house posts in Klukwan, um up on the Chilkat. And um, you, you go in their clan house, the whale house in Klukwan, where you see his house posts. And they own a lot of pictures in there. You, you have to go in there and just sit and look at it. And um, it's incredible. It's powerful. It's you're sitting there looking at some of the best clinket art ever to be done by anybody. And um, there's a rain screen there too. That's really powerful. But yeah, just being on the on on that doing that working with Holland, you know, I took every opportunity to go see these things, mm-hmm. you know, going to Wrangle and going to, to Chief Shakes the clan house there and like, man, it was powerful. It was such a learning experience, you know, you know, when you go to these places that have this older art that is representative of the culture, do you have like, like a way of approaching it? Yeah, it's man. It, it's emotional, like for real. Mm -hmm. Um, because you I've dedicated my life my whole life to this and it's not just trying to create a beautiful piece like you think of like what our people went through with colonization how many pieces left Alaska how many pieces were just destroyed mm-hmm. how much knowledge was lost with smallpox and people dying and not passing along the knowledge that they had all that comes into play when you look at these old pieces and you hold them and to be honest like I'm, my wife had seen me cry one time and it was when my son was born, right? We've been together for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And like, I've cried in front of these freaking museum curators in the bottom of a basement holding a piece, you know, like tears come out. And I can't, I, I get emotional just thinking about it right now, you know? But like, just looking at these pieces, you know? And like, man, it's like, it's, 
it, it like touches you and the, the core of your being, the core of your soul, you know, looking at these things. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, man, yeah, I, a, a lot of artists I've talked to have the same feeling. It just comes out when you're there. It comes out when you're holding it. It comes out when you're looking at it, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, you know, like, this is exactly what you're meant to be doing with your life. And to see it and to see, like, you think back to how these pieces were used in our culture. You look at like a old, like a bowl, you know, that bowl is, is completely black from years and years of grease put into it from feasts, from being used in our kuwik potlatch ceremonies, mm-hmm. you know, and like, man, like so powerful. And that the, like you're trying to recreate these things and like carry it forward again. But it's, you know, it's never ending. It's going to be never ending process. Mm-hmm. Has your perspective on museums changed at all over the years? Um, I mean, you get to a point where it's, you know, like this is what you're meant to do with your life. Like you, I'm on the path. I'm supposed to be on, mm-hmm. you know, when I was carving on the cruise ships in Alaska, you know, an, an elder woman, she goes, just simple, you know, our culture is reserved and quiet. She just said these words to me. She said, your ancestors are smiling down on you. And for some reason like that, man, that just cuts me to the core every time I think about it. I said that exact, I couldn't even get it out in Jackson in front of 500 people at Natural Selection. I'm up on stage talking and I told that exact story and I started getting emotional just telling it. Mm -hmm. But man, that's like, for some reason, like her saying that to me, just, you know, your ancestors are smiling down on you as she's watching me carve, you know, like, God, right? you know you're doing what you're meant to be doing. How do you think your ancestors influence your art? Uh, it's huge. You know, like my grandfathers are all Dakawaiti chiefs. You know, like my great-great-grandfather was Chief Gushtaheen of Dakawaiti and Husumukwan. And like his name means spray off the dorsal fin of killer whale. And um, I have a picture of him standing there. That's a really incredible picture. And um, I look at it all the time, but like the work, you know, that I like doing, like the discussion is always like traditional versus contemporary and like, where do you, where do you lie in that realm? And you can exist in both realms with it, you know, Mm -hmm. like my commission with Google, like it became pretty evident from our discussions that they wanted more contemporary work, stuff that matched more modern, I guess, approach to the art form. Mm-hmm. And you could stretch the limits of that. Not too far, you have to maintain colors and things of that nature. But the integrity never changes. The lines and the integrity of the form line never changes. But my passion and like my like my heart is in creating these traditional pieces. Pieces that could exist in our culture. 
a piece that I could put in front of my great-great-grandfather and show him and, and it would be worthy, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that's on my mind, you know, when I do these carvings and these sculpture pieces, you know, like you want it to be worthy of, of, of his praise or my ancestors' praise, you know? So that's always, that's always a standard that you want to keep. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that helps, helps you separate yourself from like, maybe even the world, you know, when people are handing you a microphone and they're like, all right, talk for 30 minutes. You're like, all right, like I can do it because, you know, you have that confidence and then you also have like that, that reassurance that this is what you're meant to be doing. Yeah, no, it is. It's like, I can't even tell you the amount of time I've spent studying clinket art, studying the stories, studying the history of it, reading so many books, every book I can get my hands on, I, I read it and like piecing it together and understanding it the best way I know how. And um, so, yeah, like being able to communicate that and communicate the history and communicate the history of the art form. Um, it almost comes naturally. Like, it's funny, like I'm, I told Lando and <laughs> when I was in Jackson, like, I was like, man, I don't see myself as a public speaker, like at all. Mm-hmm. Then like, he came back in the green room, like after I got off stage and was like, dude, you're a public speaker. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it just comes naturally, I guess, like being able to like talk about this because it's something that I'm like passionate about, you know, mm-hmm. it's something that I'm really passionate about and like completely believe in, you know, mm-hmm. so I, um, it comes naturally to be able to, to talk about it, like in front of, in front of large audiences, mm-hmm. you know, I could be a carver say like in a small village and not ever showcase it anywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And like do it, do it for the sake of doing it, doing it for the sake of my ancestors and for sake of carrying forward our culture and our heritage. But um, on the other side of the coin, like I want to take it places it hasn't gone before Mm -hmm. and like show people like how incredible this art form is and how incredible our our culture is, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like taking these opportunities and, and taking it outside of Alaska and like, you know, having it be on this platform is, is incredible. It's not like my, and my intentions, it just kind of is happening that way, but I see it as a really a positive thing, you know, and like it, it brings, like I said before, like collectively, like brings everyone up, you know? Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about the piece that you dedicated to your mom? Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, there's a, I got asked by this, um, there's a, a movie um, coming out called Gather, and the director is Sanjay Rawal out of New York. He's a New York-based filmmaker. He approached me about doing a time-lapse to use to promote the movie. And um, one of those things, you know, you say, yeah, of course, like, 
no question. And um, I work with my friend Ian Tessner, who's like incredible photographer, videographer, top notch. He shoots all my work. So I approached Ian about it. I say we want to time lapse um, a painting on this, you know, um, like eleven foot live edge um, piece of mesquite. We'll do a salmon stream on it and time lapse it, start to finish. And he said, "Yeah, let's do it." And he set it up, and it was in my garage actually. And um, Sanjay was like, "When we set it up, you know, like we need, you know, big stretches to do it, you know, and w try to work left to right." So it's not kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. So it looks uniform. And um, so when I started painting, like cameras above me, and it took a photo, I think it was every like 12 seconds. Mm -hmm. And so the time lapse turned, those are all photos from it. But it was, you know, six days of painting. And at the time, um, you know, my dad had passed and I was taking care of my mom and, and she got, diagnosed with terminal cancer and she is such a strong woman and i had been taking care of her for you know eight years up up until her diagnosis but when she got diagnosed you know she was so strong she said the doctors were like we could try to treat it and do these things and she just said no she said it's my time you know mm -hmm. and so i had her at my house and um i was with her like completely till the end like she died in my arms but it was like right during <clears throat> that process of filming that time lapse you know mm -hmm. and it was day three that she she passed and um she is such a strong woman she you know said you know don't worry about me like i'm gonna be fine mm -hmm. you know you keep keep doing what you're doing and so like finishing that that time lapse and painting was like you know like grieving sorry i, you know, I haven't talked about this no man no you're good no, but it was uh, like a grieving process mm -hmm. where I was, you know, doing it and finishing it, but, you know, thinking about her. Where is that piece now? Oh, man, it's, uh, uh, sorry about that. I haven't talked about her in a while. No, man, it, you're good. You're good. Um, no, it was, um, it was cool as I work with the, the U S department of interior, like the last like two years and, um, like Deb, Deb Ayland, she has like two of my pieces in her office in DC, which is really cool. And, um, they've commissioned different designs from me, which has been incredible, but they offer me a museum show at any of the museums that they have. And um, I just finished one as at a show in South Dakota called Visual Language. And that piece was um, in that show. So um, I just got it back not too long ago. So yeah, that, that piece is here at my house. 
You know, Mark Landvik, who we've mentioned a few times earlier in the conversation, said that when you're in the moment, you know, when you're creating art, it can last all day. He said that it's a beautiful thing to see. Can you tell me about what it's like when you're in that moment? Yeah, it's more like, <clears throat> I mean, like art is such a mindless activity, you know, like you're not thinking forward, you're not stressing over what happened yesterday. You know, it's like you're right in the moment directly. So you look down and look up and it's been a couple hours, which is beautiful, you know, but like to do like really good work, like you, you can't, um, you have to put yourself in that moment. You know, you have mm -hmm. to be focused directly on what's in front of you and doing doing those cuts carving or painting or whatever you're doing but yeah it's like a you know it's a creative space and like you know working with lando like some of the best times like i had was going up to his house in bellingham when we were just starting ingrained ink and like it'd be like all day sessions in his work wood workshop you know mm -hmm. like morning to like super late at night just carving or painting and like you know sharing that time is really special mm -hmm. but um yeah it's uh yeah like the artistic side it's almost like you you don't need to talk or you don't need to interact like you just let whatever's in you come out in front of you you know you know, I, I had one more question about that that piece that you dedicated to your mom, and just just let me know if if you want to answer it or not. But it seems like you know having having that piece and everything that went into creating that piece, it seems like it might be therapeutic. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. It was like. You know, being going down there and painting for six, like six, seven hour stretches, like serious stretches of painting was just like way of grieving and like calming, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's you think of like the movement to a salmon, you know, and like stories of salmon, like it's such a salmon is such a high regard amongst northwest coast people it was our principal food source for generations you know mm -hmm. and like the salmon would go up the stream to die you know they knew that and um there's a story about fog woman and like one of the, the ending of the story is like she had two really beautiful daughters and the reason why the salmon would would go up to the stream was to see their beauty one last time before they died you know, really beautiful, really eloquent story. Um, but yeah, no, that piece like rep is representative of a lot of different things for me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's special, special for sure. You know, James, that does it for my questions. You know, I, I really want to thank you for chatting with me today. I'm a big fan of your art. Um, Thank you so much for, I don't know, I feel like we talked about a lot of, a lot of stuff. 
Yeah. Wow. Um, some personal stuff. And, you know, I always uh, am so appreciative for when people like allow me into that, that really sacred place. So thank you. Yeah. 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 You're welcome. It's, uh, I've done a lot of talks and like, um, so it's, it's good to get it out. And like, I usually never really plan anything. I just let it come out how it comes, you know, and like Mm -hmm. keep it more organic and flowing. So that was great talking to you. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, I mean, I just like, if anyone ever has questions or like wants to reach out to me with anything at all, um, always open. I always respond to a lot of people too. And, um, yeah, thankful, thankful for like this gift, you know, like this gift was given to me for a reason. I'm going to make the absolute most out of it during my lifetime and carry carry forward the clinket culture carry forward the art form and, and do it the best way i know how for more information about the anchorage museum visit anchoragemuseum.org this podcast was produced by me cody liska for the anchorage museum with additional help from Julie Decker. Chattermark's music is produced by Keys Open Doors. <laughs>